Rusty Quill presents. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey guys, I just wanted to say thank you again for listening to the show. It's got about 100 regular listeners at this point, and almost 1,000 total plays. If you like the show so much, why don't you marry it? On Patreon. The Woebegone Patreon has early episodes, when I get them done early, episode instrumentals, extra visual art, writing, music, transcripts, a Discord that no one's joined yet. You know, all the cool stuff a Patreon normally has. I'm especially proud of the soundtrack of this episode, which is available now. Go to patreon.com slash woe underscore begone and check it out. Thanks to Risky Coffee, Plumule, and your name for being my first patrons. And with that, enjoy the show. The hardest part about lying is you can't only lie. To use an extreme example, say that I was trying to convince you that I had a law degree. I could lie and say that I went to law school. I could dress in a tailored suit and say things like, Oh, ex parte garland, and motion for summary judgment. And tell you about that little symbol that looks like two S's on top of each other that lawyers always use. And you might shoot back at me with, Well, Mike, that all sounds very impressive, just like a lawyer might say. But if you went to law school, why don't you have a job as a lawyer? Or even work at a law firm? To double down on lying about absolutely everything here would be a failure on my part. If I responded by saying, Oh, I actually do work at a law firm, or Who's Mike? My name isn't Mike? Then every lie I told up to that point would be forfeit. If this person already knows me as Mike, and say for instance we were co-workers working in the same company that is not a law firm, then contradicting those claims would immediately expose my other claims as false. In order to tell a convincing lie, a portion of that lie must also be the truth. A much larger portion must be the truth than my law degree lie, mind you. No one on earth would be convinced that I had done anything more than watch some YouTube videos. But I do know what ex parte garland means, and I did go to college. Those truths that I told are used to shield the lie. The lie is the important piece of the information in the conversation. It's the only thing that I care about communicating to you. 
every other piece of the conversation is merely a tool to deliver the lie unopposed. Bigger, more important lies are almost entirely the truth. It's only the greasy, disgusting core of a betrayal or act of aggression that must be kept fully hidden. The goal is to be able to enact your heinous plan, not to keep them from ever feeling skeptical or suspicious of you. Your enemy's opinion of your standing is worthless. They can say that they saw it coming all that they want, but it won't reverse their defeat. Fully blindsiding someone is great, but if your opponent knows you well and gets their wits about them, it isn't usually an option. If it is an option, you should consider loftier goals with more formidable enemies. Richard Nixon and company created the term limited hangout to describe the practice of telling your enemy part of the truth in order to get information from them and to keep the construction of your lie believable. They meant it as hanging a limited amount of truth out there as bait, not as creating a limited amount of time in which you hang out with someone, which is what I always thought it meant until I looked it up. It's a very 70s way of putting things. It didn't have a perfect batting average with Nixon, what with Watergate and all, but it is a long-standing part of CIA spycraft at this point. It works, but it can't be your only line of infosec defense. This is a great tool to have in your arsenal, but it's also important to realize that it's a tool in the arsenal of every accomplished liar on the planet. Luckily, knowing that other good liars are doing this is a piece of information in itself. It means that the person who is lying to you might well be giving you a lot of the truth as well. You can use that to try and reverse engineer what lies at the murky core that they're trying to conceal from you. Two liars lying to each other, that's an arms race. Four liars lying to each other, this is Woebegone. The story of Wobegon is being told in order, so if this is your first time listening, go back to episode 1 and start there. When you get back, you'll understand who has what information. I know you all are wondering about what I've decided to do about the fourth challenge. The longer I sit here with my thumb up my ass, the longer Cannonball and Anne have to try and pass me on the scoreboard. And if Anne passes me on the scoreboard, it'll be because she killed me to complete the fourth challenge. The clock is ticking, and also the clock is attached to a bomb, and also it's counting down to zero in the Super Mario Brothers seconds that are so much faster than regular seconds. Trust me, I haven't stopped thinking about it. You'll have to wait until the end of the episode to hear what my plan is, though. Not because this is a tease to get you to listen to the entire episode, but because my decision is the synthesis of everything that I'm about to tell you about my recent interactions in this world of Wobegon. After my conversation with Cannonball, in which he made clear his intent to kill the second-place Wobegon player and his attempt to recruit me into helping him do so, I decided to call Anne at my earliest convenience, what with her being a triple threat. My age-old friend, the Wobegon player that brought me back to life and has been instructed to take me right back out, and the second-place player who has made herself Cannonball's target. My fate was intertwined with hers. 
I had converted too many of my mic bucks into and tokens, and there was no way to convert them back. Plus, she was like my friend or whatever, and I care about whether she lives or dies or some shit like that. We had spoken and emailed a few times since I helped her complete the third challenge. She was up to date on some of the stuff, specifically my previous interactions with Cannonball. Assume that she's heard basically all of the podcast. The following is a recreation of a phone conversation that we had. Hey Anne, how's it going? Have you got your fourth challenge? I asked. Not yet, I'm getting antsy. I just know it's going to be something bad, she said. I got a bonus challenge, but not the fourth one yet, I lied. A bonus challenge, like, just for you? Yeah, they said that they like to play favorites, so since I'm in the lead, they sent me on a wild goose chase where I had to identify a song based on a tiny clip of it, and once I did that, I had to cut off both of my hands, I said. You dipshit, she said. You risked your life in order to score some brownie points with the game runners? That does sound exactly like you, actually. It wasn't nearly as hard as the left arm challenge. Plus, you can never be too far ahead in this game. We both know what happens if you start to lag behind the other players, I said. You should be glad I'm like this. I helped you get through the third challenge, remember? And I'm forever grateful, she said, semi-sarcastically. But why are they keeping challenge four from us? I got my other challenges not too long after I completed the previous one, but now they're hanging us out to dry. I think that's exactly why they're waiting. They're letting us fester with the knowledge that it's coming. A few of us know each other now. Who knows if there are other players who are in a similar position and are also meeting each other. It's more entertaining to give us a chance to try and figure out what's going on and what everyone's deal is, I said. Speaking of everyone's deal, you told me that Cannonball said that someone passed him on the scoreboard and you were sure it was me. What's he up to now? She asked. You and I are the only players that I actually know and I don't actually know him. He's why I called. First off, Cannonball says that he already did challenge four, but he didn't tell me what it was. So whatever it is can't be bad enough to keep him from doing it. He was cagey about it, though, so I didn't press him on it. He seems like a pretty bad dude, Anne said, so it isn't really saying much that he's willing to do it. Yeah, I said. He's going to try to kill you, I said. Fucking what? She asked, curious. He knows you passed him up on the scoreboard. He used internet sleuthing to figure out that you live in and matched that up to relevant missing persons cold cases for police officers based on the time that you would have passed his score. Wobegon gave him enough clues to start to create a profile on you. I've thought about it and I don't think we could have done anything differently, since the score was bound to change whenever we did the challenge, regardless of when or how we did it. He's scared of losing so he's hunting you down and is going to make an attempt on your life. He asked me to help him, I said. Um, well, at least he tried to rope you into it, right? You can help him and throw him right off the trail. You are helping him, right? She asked. Well, I was busy tracking down the works of a physicist named Eliza Schultz. She wrote a paper where she claims that she cut me off. Shut the fuck up, Mike. You had a chance to sabotage him and you spent your time looking up some physicist? You know that if I die, then you die too, right? I thought I was helping by not helping, I said sheepishly. She spoke right past me. Cannonball has an ex-military background and he wants to kill me. Fuck, what do I do? Do I move? Do I change my name? Do I dye my hair? Or is it too late for any of that and those things will just bring more attention to me? How serious is he about this, Mike? He's only narrowed it down to Oops. as far as I know, but he's very resourceful. He's been playing Wobegon a lot longer than either of us. 
So on a scale from one to fucked, Mike, how fucked am I? She asked. Like a screwed point seven, I said. There was a long pause. Anne responded as though a veil had been lifted. Oh, well, it's clear then, Anne said. The look in her eyes combined with the sudden calmness frightened me. Cannonball will meet you at the drop of a hat, right? He has so far, I said. What are you thinking? Well, you could kill Cannonball. Cannonball wants me to kill Anne. Anne wants me to kill Cannonball. Wobegon wants me to kill Matt. I need to call John to make sure he doesn't want me to kill anyone before I jump to any decisions. Does Eliza Schultz want me to kill anybody? Going to the murder store, anybody want something? There's a hundred reasons I don't want to kill Cannonball, I said. I'm just going to start listing them until you interrupt me. Despite the nature of recent events, I don't like to take the lives of other human beings. Cannonball and I have only met in public because he says that he doesn't trust me, and it's not like I can just stab him in front of everyone at the coffee shop. Cannonball's a much larger and much fightier guy than me, so there's a probably better than half chance that he kills me instead. And he hasn't even found you yet. Cannonball knows stuff that the rest of us don't, and that information could come in handy if we want to win. Uh, I just, I just really don't want to, okay? Why didn't you interrupt me? Anne sighed and shook her head. Because you're right, she said. I was a goddamn combat journalist, Mike. I know what bloodshed's like, and I'd like to prevent as much of it as possible. It's just... I'm scared. And with the fourth challenge? What about the fourth challenge? I asked. Who knows what it could be, you know? It could be something really bad. Something even worse than the third challenge. Like they might make us do something unforgivable. Like hurt someone we know. There was the tiniest slip in her voice when she started talking about the fourth challenge. Like she was covering the trail to something. Did she already know what the fourth challenge was and was testing me by pretending not to know? How conniving. I should know that's exactly what I was doing. It was a two-way limited hangout. I decided not to let on that I knew that she knew that I knew that she knew what was really going on here. Can I come over and we can just talk this all out? She asked. I had to think fast. I don't think so. Not yet. I know that Cannonball knows where I live, so there's always a chance he's monitoring me in my house. I don't think it's safe if a random college friend from <laughs> is all of a sudden at my house while he's looking for people from <laughs> He already suspects me of something anyway, he just isn't sure how much to suspect me of. That's the smart thing to do to not look suspicious, right? Make a whole bunch of excuses rapid fire right in a row? I imagined Anne showing up to my house, knife behind her back, smile on her face. Could she do it? I had to hold her hand while she was doing the third challenge, for God's sake. That makes sense, she said. Would you be opposed to me killing Cannonball? I spluttered. I don't know, Anne. I mean, I don't know. You're talking about killing a human being here. One that I've met and spoken to. I know about his life. It just doesn't feel right. Since you know about his life, you know he hasn't lived the cleanest one, Anne said. You know he's killed people. Anne, we've killed people, I said. But it's not like that. He's different. He's he's done more ch challenges, which means that he's probably done even worse. That's it. She knows. She has to know, right? She had to be talking about Cannonball completing Challenge 4 and being able to kill his own wife to progress in the game. She knows. 
Game, set, and checkmate, Mike Walters. The baseball is in the end zone. The polo horse is through the basketball hoop. Nothing but net. I had her all figured out. Let me think about it, okay? I said. There's no need to do anything drastic right now. Besides, if he kills you, then I'm fucked, so I'd rather you just not charge into battle. He doesn't know that we have a connection, and he doesn't even know who you are yet. Plus, as far as I know, he's telling me everything that he's thinking about on his quest to kill you every step of the way. We have time to figure something out. I don't want you to have to put that on your soul. Not yet. Will you tell me when you get your fourth challenge? Just so I can know what I'm up against. You should get it before me, she said. Of course, I replied. She knew that I was lying, but she didn't know that I knew that she knew. Since I completed the third challenge before her, it was almost guaranteed that I would have received the fourth challenge before her. Whatever it is, we will work through it together, I said. And whatever it is, we will overcome it and win. And if the prize is to be able to do what the game runners are doing right now, we can reverse all of the terrible parts of this and even more. I hope so, Mike. I hope this is all worth something in the end, she said. Me too, I replied. Anne already having the fourth challenge was incredibly bad news. It made the sticky predicament that the game has put me in become all too real. Based on this conversation, I'd say that Anne is at least toying with the idea of killing me in order to progress in the game. Maybe with the intent of bringing me back using the technology once she gets her hands on it? Maybe not. It's possible that she was planning to come to my house and then decide on the fly whether she wanted to kill me or work with me. If she's received the challenge, there's no time left for me to buy. The time has come for decisive action, and yet I feel completely paralyzed by the amount of variables abound. It's panic-inducing. I decided to send her the Eliza Schultz blog stuff to see if she could make heads or tails of it, and see if she could reach out to any of her academic contacts about it. It was something to keep her mind off of killing Cannonball. And killing me. Mostly it was to keep her from thinking about killing me. I was giving her information to hopefully prove I was more useful alive. Is that what Cannonball was doing too when he gave me the Eliza Schultz blog? Using information to protect himself from me? In other news, Eliza Schultz doesn't exist. I don't mean that in the way that Charles Thibodeau doesn't exist anymore, like I detailed in earlier episodes. I don't think this is even a Wobegon thing. I don't think that Eliza Schultz ever actually existed in this or any other universe. She seems to have disappeared, but her materials didn't disappear like Thibodeau's did when Wobegon made him disappear. I can still go to her blog, which is still up, and read what she wrote. Anyone can. I checked from a different computer to make sure that it wasn't just my browser cookies keeping the website up, it's still there. However, I emailed the university that Eliza Schultz said that she taught at before being forced to take a sabbatical, and they told me not only had they never employed anyone by that name, that they asked the head of the physics department and she had never heard of a physicist by the name of Eliza Schultz. I wasn't expecting an elderly woman to have a complete social media presence, but besides her blog and associated email address, I could find absolutely nothing else about this woman. No Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, WhatsApp, Snapchat, LinkedIn, Letterboxd, SoundCloud, Kitsu, Kitsu is a website for ranking and discussing anime series, Twitch, MySpace, Goodreads, nothing. I couldn't even find her address or phone number in the phone book, a thing that still exists, and if anyone would be in it, it would be an elderly woman who probably still has a landline phone number. 
I also did a Whois lookup on her website, which was registered.com. The Whois information was privated, which isn't something that a normal person thinks to do unless they don't want people to know that they're the ones behind the creation of a website. Not the typical MO of a physicist making a blog to talk about her work. I guess I could understand that if she wanted to keep her identity secret from the other players during Wobegon, but this website existed both before and after her participation in Wobegon, with no change in the Whois history for that entire time. I understand that it's possible to keep a low profile, but Eliza Schultz seemed to be keeping a no profile. It just didn't feel consistent with the footprint of a human being that actually exists. There's a scene from The Simpsons that feels applicable here. Milhouse accused Bart's dog, Santa's little helper, of eating all of the goldfish. But when he asked Bart about it, Bart told Milhouse that he never had any goldfish. So Milhouse says, Then why did I have the bowl, Bart? Why did I have the bowl? Why do I have the mechanification of theory, a plausible methodology for retrocausal informatics, cannonball? I took a closer look at the profile picture she was using on her blog. This was the only picture of her anywhere on her website, and thus the only picture I could find of her anywhere on the internet. Google image search, Bing, DuckDuckGo, none of them returned relevant image results. The picture was shrunken down to a profile picture size, so it was hard to make out any fine details in the skin, hair, eyes, or anything. Someone could easily use a website like thispersondoesnotexist.com to create a person that looks just like this. Just keep hitting refresh until you get a picture of an old woman without any strange computation irregularities. Speaking of irregularities, though, there was the faintest line across the left part of her temple. It could have been the light, but what it looked like to me was the arm off a pair of eyeglasses. She wasn't wearing eyeglasses in the photo. What it looked like was a computer generating the side of a face and included that part of a pair of eyeglasses because it didn't know what it was actually doing. On a 300 by 300 pixel image, it was very faint. It actually gave the illusion that she was wearing glasses until you looked harder and couldn't see the rest of them. I guess it could be a pen or pencil perched behind her ear. It wouldn't make me suspicious, except that with everything else, it starts to paint a picture of someone who doesn't really exist. I mean, who spells Eliza with an A, anyway? Of course, I reached out again to the email that I had reached out to in last week's episode. I told Ms. Schultz that I was incredibly interested in her poetic approach to space-time, and asked if we might meet somewhere to discuss it in person. Her reply was as cryptic as ever. Sailing for three months. Sailing for three months with nothing but salt water to drink. It only takes a bottle and some ingenuity to desalinate the ocean. I've only got the ingenuity. I could invent a time machine if I had the right parts. Instead, I'm stuck on a boat, sailing for three months with nothing but salt water to drink. My oar can touch the bottom of the ocean. I look down. It's clear, and I can see the bottom. I'm barely floating on anything at all. I stand up out of the boat. I can stand here. The water is only up to my knees. There is no land visible in any direction. I haven't seen land in months. My feet are submerged. Nothing but salt water to drink. Not helpful, and I get the distinct impression that I am being fucked with. The question is, by whose hand is the fucking with being perpetrated? Is it cannonball? Did he send me on this wild goose chase to keep me out of the hunt for the second place player because he suspects that I have something to do with it? 
If I'm too busy trying to figure out this academic time travel paper, that's time I'm not spending making sure that Anne stays hidden. Would he put together this enormous website just for that? Was someone, maybe the game runners, fucking with Cannonball by introducing him to Eliza Schultz? They could have hired a good enough lookalike actor to play her and meet with him. We could both be the ones being taken for a ride here. Is that academic paper real in any sense? Does it have real information inside of it? It's written like an academic paper, including sources cited, a lot of them actually. I looked up those sources, and they all seem to be legitimate, and they all seem to be saying what the mechanification of theory says that they are saying. If the paper accurately draws on its sources and makes logical conclusions based on them, it still might be a theory worth taking seriously. I emailed a couple of the researchers cited in the paper, and they neither knew anything about the paper nor had ever heard of Eliza Schultz. The most important question arising from this is what to do with Cannonball from here on out. I think that it's best that I not tell him that I know that Eliza Schultz doesn't exist and see what information he volunteers. It would be nice to ask him for an address or something and have him either deny me or give me a fake address where I learned that Schultz was fake all along and possibly fall into a trap, but letting him know that I know isn't worth the clarification. I'm definitely going to keep digging into the Eliza Schultz stuff, not only to see what it has to say about how Wobegon is played, but also to see what whoever planted this wanted me to see. To recap, here are my hypotheses for why the Eliza Schultz stuff even exists. 1. It was manufactured by Cannonball to throw me and potentially other players off the important stuff while he gets down to business. 2. It was invented by Wobegon to fool Cannonball and other players who were interested in replicating the tech for themselves. The information might be true or false. Either could help the game runners depending on what they want to do with the players who are interested in the technological aspect of the game. If they are looking for someone who can make the tech on their own, it's setting the players up for a Last Starfighters-esque recruitment scenario. If they're trying to keep the truth hidden, it's a big red herring. 3. Eliza Schultz once existed, but the game runners have employed some different type of mechanic to make it so that, while she has been erased, physical evidence of the documents she made while alive are still around. When Charles Thibodeau disappeared, all that remained of him was the memory of him from people who were playing the game. Her getting disappeared seems unlikely, because now there is no one in history to have created these documents. 4. I created Eliza Schultz to confuse Cannonball, Wobegon, Anne, you the listener, or all of the above. I could have done this for different reasons depending on who I was trying to fool. For instance, it could be to keep Anne from coming after me, to get Cannonball to be suspicious of me for the wrong reasons, to signal to the game runners that I have the power to manipulate the other players, etc. I know that this is incorrect, but you the listener can never be sure, even if I say that someone admitted to it because it would be me reporting that information. If Anne, Cannonball, or Wobegon are listening, either my fabrication of the Eliza Schultz stuff or my claim to have done so will have some utility in how I want them to think about what I am up to. 5. Eliza Schultz does exist, and has successfully gotten herself so far off the grid that not even the people in her life remember her anymore. If this is true, maybe she could have used the Wobegon technology to achieve this. Maybe she crafted her own Wobegon technology using her engineering background and blasted herself out of this dimension altogether. I'm skeptical. And now we are back to the cliffhanger that I left you with at the top of the episode. Whether or not I hop on a plane in the middle of a pandemic and go kill my best friend that I brought back to life will be a result of my evaluation of those variables that I have presented to you in this episode. 
Ultimately, it would be preferable to be able to recreate the technology myself and have the power to put this to an end all on my own and without killing anyone. Eliza Schultz's non-existence throws a huge wrench into whether or not that's even possible. On the other hand, the scoreboard clock is always ticking. Cannonball is trying to hunt down and kill Anne, which in turn will kill me. Anne is trying to kill me, which in turn will kill me. Killing Matt would progress me further in the game, and hopefully get me closer to some secrets. The game runners did say that the real work would start after the fourth challenge, after all. Plus, Vancouver is a long way away. Neither Cannonball nor Anne would be able to come after me without a huge hassle in their personal lives, especially because I wouldn't be telling them where I'm going. Hmm, plane tickets aren't as expensive as I thought they'd be either. I'll have to check in an incognito browser. They might even be cheaper than that. I mean, it can't hurt to fly out there and see what happens, right? This has been Wobegon. I hear British Columbia is beautiful in the winter. Thanks for playing. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.